Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Six Sense Podcast. I'm Lucas, I got Chris and Jonathan here yet again, guys. We've been, since our last podcast, we've had two games to talk about, and we're going to definitely get into both of them, right guys? Yeah, we have some uh, live playoff Sixers basketball. Unfortunately, obviously now we're coming to you after game two, but why don't we start on a little more positive note? Let's go to uh, game one. The Sixers beat the Celtics 119-115 without Joel Embiid, newly crowned uh, most valuable player. So it was surprising, I think, to a lot of people outside of the Sixers locker room. But, Chris, what were your thoughts on this one? Starters, maybe? Good place to go? Uh, Yeah. You know, I, I would say maybe a single starter in particular is, is a good place to go. Uh, 45 points for... One James Harden, pretty pretty good night for him. Uh, obviously hit the go-ahead three late over Al Horford, which certainly endeared him to, to a lot of Sixer fans in the moment. But overall, 57% from the field, hit 7 of 14 from three, had 45 points and six assists. Uh, only took four free throws to get him to 45 points. So he, he did it uh, the old-fashioned way, in a sense. And just a very, very impressive night from him. Obviously... We have talked at length over the last couple of years now about how Harden has had to sacrifice for Joel. What is Harden capable of? Where is his game at? It's nice to know that he's still able to put these kinds of nights together, scoring the ball. You know, you'd like to see it more often, even with Joel. I, I think a healthier dose of James being aggressive and looking for his own shot would, would benefit everyone. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was just an awesome superstar performance from, from a guy who's been one of the 10 or 15 best players in the league for, for a lot long stretches this season. So he deserves a ton of credit and he, he, you know, got the Sixers home court advantage in this series, which is huge. So he, he deserves all the credit in the world. Yeah, for sure. James had a great night. It was nice to see that he could turn back the clock for a game. Maxi had 26 points, but on 24 shots, so not the most efficient tonight. But that's not my biggest concern with Maxi in this game. It was the fact that he kept on getting hunted by Tatum in this game. Tatum had a big game. He had uh, 39 points on pretty efficient shooting. Uh, P.J. Tucker didn't take a shot, but it didn't matter. He was a big impact. Tobias Harris had 18 points. Really good. And Chris, I'm surprised you didn't talk about your boy Paul Reed hitting four clutch free throws all net in the last minute of the game. Big game for Paul Reed. Yeah, I mean, like, why don't we talk about the sun rising every morning? It's like, it's just a <laughs> given at this point. Yeah. yeah. Paul Reed had 10 points and 13 rebounds. Yeah, and uh, then, I mean, a little bit on the bench. I mean, Doc went short bench, obviously, with uh, Joel out. It didn't give too many people playing time, but... I think there's one person again, Chris, so if you want to go to the bench. Yeah. Um, D'Anthony Melton had 17 points and hit five threes in 25 minutes. That That's pretty good. Good good night for him off the bench. Obviously, uh, he's kind of known for his defense, but when he's on like that from three-point range, he, he can do quite a bit for the offense as well. Uh, I mean, I think a, a trend through these two games, we'll talk about it more in game two, is the fact that P.J. has, has not offered a lot offensively. And the the fact that Milton can maybe do some of that while still providing quite a bit defensively in his own right is maybe something we need to monitor as far as who is closing games uh, as this series progresses. Uh, but, yeah, Melton was awesome. 
Not much to speak about as far as, as J-Mac and George. And that, that was the same in game two. Spoilers. So, uh, Melton had, had a really big night, though. Yeah, look, I, it was kind of surprising Doc only went three deep. But at the same time, it's understandable. You probably don't want to play Harold Deadman in real minutes. Maybe Shake and House could have given you something. But more likely... Probably not. It was a close game. I get having a short rotation. Melton looked great. was a key component for them winning. He had two block shots, including one on Tatum in the fourth quarter, which I really enjoyed. Uh, like you said, could have used more from Niang and McDaniels, but we knew that they were going to be kind of like Niang was either hot or cold shooting. He was cold, and McDaniels doesn't really give that much on offense. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. It, you know, uh, the bench should be short at this point in the season. Like, like Doc, Doc, I think, was pretty smart to keep to eight in this game. It was nine with Joel back in game two. Maybe it should be even shorter, honestly, with, with how these some of these guys are playing. So I, I think the short bench is the right way to go. Uh, but maybe he's not even choosing the right reserves who actually do get to play. Yeah, I agree with you guys. Well, I mean, it is. it feels a little depressing tonight, but... We did steal game one, so we got home court advantage back. We're coming home on Friday, so, I mean, how important is it that they got this first game? Yeah, I mean, it's huge. Obviously, a long way to go, as as everyone has said, as James was very emphatic in telling his teammates after game one. Game two will only reinforce the idea that that Philly has not really done anything yet, but... The Celtics are a very good team. Philly has very strong home court advantage, great home crowd, and taking home court advantage in this series is pretty huge. So they they have a lot left to prove. Boston is very good, but I, I know that I personally, after game one, was like dangerously optimistic. You know, we'll talk about game two, but it, it was certainly a good feeling. And to get that game, especially without Joel, and to not be going back down to Philly 0-2 is huge. Because if they went back to Philly down 0-2, I would not feel very good about this series whatsoever. Yeah, I, I think certainly getting game one is certainly gives Sixers fans and the Sixers themselves a lot of optimism. I don't think a lot. Of, I don't think anybody would have projected the Sixers to win. You know, go back to Philly 2-0, but not going down 0-2 is, is a very big win for the Sixers. Celtics are a good home team. They're a good team in general, but, you know, obviously in Boston, that's a tough crowd to play to. And getting game one without Joel, that's a big morale booster. Allowed some guys to play sometimes better than what they normally would, like for Harden primarily. Uh, so, yeah, no, I, I think getting game one was a big deal, and I guess we'll just talk about game two, what that was about, right? Yeah. The yeah, I mean, biggest 76ers playoff loss in franchise history, I believe. We uh, <laughs> lost 121 to 87. Just absolute demol- like demolition. And Embiid had been announced MVP the night before, came back. It seemed like this was going to be a real chance to maybe take another one, uh, maybe with a momentum swing, but that was absolutely not the case. So, Lucas, why don't you go first here on game two? I mean, it was pretty evident early on that Boston's defense had tightened up. Harden looked a little fatigued, too. He did not shoot great from the field. He he only had uh, 12 points on 2 of 14 shooting. Most of it came from the line, so pretty much the inverse of last game. I mean, for a guy that sprained his LCL, Joel looked pretty good, had five blocks in the first half, um, 15 points total, only three rebounds, but he was boxing out, which allowed guys like James Harden to grab like 10 and Tobias Harris to get seven. You know, it was pretty It was pretty evident early on that the, six, the, the Boston came out, you know, try, you know, they were, they were clearly not going to give up go down 2-0, and maybe it was a little, you know, MVP award hangover, MVP, uh, you know, hangover, or maybe it was just game one victory hangover, but the Sixers did not look like they were up to par for this game, and especially defensively, and it 
especially after halftime, you know, the third quarter, Boston outscored them 35-16, to almost a 20-point swing. Because it was pretty close going into halftime. And then, you know, second half, Boston pretty much took control. Uh, yeah, you, you hit all the major points, Lucas. Um, I mean, I know that I am a historically pessimistic Sixers guy. Um, I, again, like I said, I was feeling dangerously optimistic after game one. Like the, the I was too. The vibes were extremely positive, and I appreciate the Sixers just beating that out of me in very swift fashion so that I can go back to my regularly scheduled mental programming. Um yeah, this was pretty bad. Like you said, Lucas, at halftime, I was not feeling that bad about the game. You know, like you said, the effort just wasn't there. Philly was not executing the way they needed to on offense. But the game was right there for the taking. Boston wasn't really taking advantage of, of some of the extra opportunities that Philly was giving them. And then the second half, they hit, like, every three-pointer ever. And, you know, that's the, that's the way it went. But... Yeah, effort-wise, it, it just wasn't there for Philly. P.J., offensively, he actually scored points in this game, but it was felt like much more of an issue, his lack of of offense in this game. The Celtics just were not guarding him. And when you shift part of your offense to trying to get Joel going in the post or in the mid-post from the elbow, that, that becomes more of an issue. So I, I think P.J., is someone to monitor as the series goes along as far as how they're using him, who they're using him with, how often they're using him. Uh, yeah, like you said, Lucas, Joel looked pretty darn good movement-wise, had five blocks in the first half, played some incredible defense, was probably, not even probably, definitely their best player on the floor tonight already. So uh, I assume he'll only get better from here. Uh, good game to knock the rest off offensively. He wasn't at, at peak dominant form as i said the ball movement in this game was really not great for philly especially in that third quarter things just kind of stagnated um james just just couldn't get anything going uh compared to game one i I was generally pretty fine with how he approached the game i would have not minded him being even more aggressive at certain points sometimes the shots just aren't going to fall it was six from deep um but yeah, I mean, I mean, sometimes that's just how it goes. I, I, I don't think the Sixers should be flat out panicking right now. But it's also very clear that when Boston shows up and they're rolling and they're executing on both sides of the ball, they're they're very hard to beat. Like this was a pretty intimidating performance from the Celtics in that second half. So it's hard to feel super great about things. But like we just said, they they stole game one without Joel, which is huge. So they, they still very much have a chance to win this series if they can go home and take care of business. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously the bench was a lot longer tonight because there was so much garbage time, but I think four players played meaningful minutes, which is pretty much in alignment with what uh, game one would have been if Joel was in there. So, Lucas, anything from the bench stand out? I mean, Paul Reed. You know, six points, eight rebounds, right. and about 16 minutes, three offensive rebounds, a block. You, Maybe the greatest break. pass ever made. Uh, I, I'm i not going to feed into the hyperbole here. Uh, no, Melton on. had a bad game. That was beautiful. It was a beautiful pass. I'm not going to go as far as what you said. That was the highlight of the night. That was the only good All thing right. that happened tonight. We can't look past it. All right, well. I will say that Melton had a bad night. I will say this. In garbage time, Shake Melton looked good. I, I'd be willing to give that a shot in game three. Why not? And uh, no no blocks for Jaden Springer this game in a surprising fashion. Uh, I will point out the best plus minus on the team belongs to Jaden Springer. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I was a minus four. I don't know how much you can put stock into that. And that's tied minus with Korsman. Jaden Spring was a minus two. Okay. Um, uh, anyway. Not according to ESPN. Well, they're wrong. I trust NBA.com, the actual. Okay. League. All right. That's, anyways. Um, yeah, I, I, I think Shake should be playing over both McDaniels and, and George at this point. Honestly, maybe the only three bench guys who should be playing are Melton, Milton, 
and Paul Reed. Like, uh, McAndrews just doesn't have it offensively right now. He's making some pretty key mistakes on defense, too. George, for all the reasons that we are well aware of, is, is just not going to hold up this series. He had a couple pretty egregious offensive mistakes in this game. That three that he passed up uh, in, in the third quarter, I believe, was was quite upsetting. Uh, he He's really out there just to shoot three. So if he's hesitating on those and, and mucking up the offense, he really serves no purpose. So I I would be very much in favor of giving Shake a shot. I would be in favor of maybe even making the bench rotation shorter and really leaning into the Reed-Milton defensive combo and getting Shake some more minutes. Yeah, I mean, heck, I'll even give Daniel House a shot, even though he shot poorly in garbage time. I mean, he's a long athlete that could actually give the wings that uh, Boston has some problems. But, yeah, no, I think you definitely need to shake. I, I think maybe you give McDaniels and Niang a break this next game. Yeah, I was uh, I was looking to see Shake get some minutes at the end. I even said, like, I'd love to see him get in and see what he can do. But we will see what happens with the bench. So, I mean, Lucas, what kind of adjustments are you looking for from the Sixers, specifically for Game 3? I mean, the main, the main thing here is that I think – you know, let's go back to the bench. I said that I, I do believe I kind of agree with Chris. You got to shake things up bench rotation wise. But in terms of scheme here, I mean, you're not gonna. You got to make sure you don't collapse. And that goes back to Joel. Maybe they need do more zone like they did in the game one. Um, but also, you know, you can't let them get wide open three pointers. There's there was just too many in that third quarter, and that's what really killed the Sixers. Offensively, I, I I understand trying to get Joel reestablished, but you played so good playing with pace and dumping the ball down to Joel just allows Boston's defense to get set. I'm not saying don't feed Joel, but you know you got to pick your spots and maybe you know focus more on the perimeter guys. Yeah, I I agree. I, I think a lot of it is going to come down to getting Embiid more involved, but also. Like you said, Lucas picking his spots better. A lot of moments in this game where the ball just got dumped off to Embiid kind of haphazardly in the post, and then they stood around for 15 seconds. That kind of stuff can't happen. They need to find ways to get the Harden-Embiid pick-and-roll going. Boston did a really great job defending it in this game. And I, I, yeah, and I, I think Embiid will just generally be better moving forward. I at least hope so. I hope that's like the trend we're on as far as his knee goes. Um, if he can be more like his, his dominant self offensively, that's going to open a lot up for the Sixers. And yeah, again, the bench rotation. I, I, just, I just think there are a couple guys who can't be playing right now. And the Sixers really getting crushed in those minutes is going to be a problem against teams as good as Boston. So Doc has to either shorten things up, find better players, do something other than what he's doing right now. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, well, let's get to some more positive news again. Obviously, we've talked about it, referenced it on this podcast. Joel Embiid was named the MVP first time for him. Uh, extremely exciting. That video is so heartwarming, seeing the team just so excited for him. Harden hugging him, just really good time. And then Harden gifting him the Rolex, obviously, today, custom, saying MVP 23. I mean, all around, it just felt like that's, I think, another reason I was, like, so bought into this game. The team looked so just united and, I don't know, really great. But, uh, Chris, why don't we start with you? Like, what does this do with him for Embiid's legacy? And where do you think he ranks among all-time centers, all-time Sixers? Yeah, I, I mean, the all-time center debate is is kind of impossible to solve at this point. It, it's, like, too early in his career to really sit down and try to hammer out because he, he's we're still in the prime theoretically. So he, he has a lot left to go and a lot, you know, a lot of ground that he can still make up, but he, he's moving up that list very quickly. Obviously 
winning MVP does a lot for anyone's legacy. And this does kind of cement Joel as like one of the guys of his generation, this kind of almost like second half of it, like post LeBron, not quite, but as LeBron and Curry in that generation sort of starts to fade a little bit. I know the Warriors just won the playoffs. Draymond had this very compelling and, and frankly, probably correct uh, take about appreciating what is and not trying to look forward. But in, in this kind of second half post-LeBron-ish era, Joel is, is kind of one of like the mainstream guys. It's, it's him, Giannis, and Jokic. Those three have been the last five MVPs for a reason. Those, those guys are kind of the defining players of this these past few years, at least in the regular season, we can talk about the lack of postseason success for, for at least Joel and Jokic on different levels. But, yeah, it, it's huge. And we're I think we'd all agree Joel is at the very worst a top five player in the league. And he's going to make the Hall of Fame. He's pretty much locked that up. This is just, a, a, you know, another notch on, on his resume. So... It does a lot for him. He's an amazing player. And like he said himself, this is just validation for, for years of hard work. And it's a special moment for him and, and the team and the fan base. So let's go with all-time centers first year. Uh, Chris is correct in saying that it's too early to really cement him. But let's just go down the list of centers that have won MVP. Let's just put him in that category. In terms of centers that have won MVP, we have Joel, Jokic. Um, I don't know if you really want to count Duncan, uh, but you can. If you well, no, he's a power forward. Shaq. Then you have Hakeem, Moses Malone, who we'll talk about more later. Julius Irving. No, sorry, not Julius Irving, sorry. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Wadden. Is Bob McAdoo a center? I think he's a center, right? Yeah, he's a center. Um, Dave Cones, Willis Reed, Wes Unsaid, Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain. So that that's a good handful of guys there. I I don't know where I would rank Joel among them, but that's only a handful of centers that have won the MVP. So you you have to put Joel up there. I, if I had to like ballpark him right now, he's at best a top 10 center already in NBA history, at worst a top 15. Not quite sure. I'd have to do some more research before I answer that. Okay, I, I, have, kind of... I, have, I have a way to solve this. I, okay. I pulled up ESPN's all-time center rankings. I'll just go down the top 10 list and we'll, we'll stop when we think Joel enters the conversation. Okay, okay. Oh, that right. sounds fair. Number one is Kareem. Number two is Wilt. Number three is Russell. Number four is Shaq. Number five is Hakeem. Number six is Moses Malone. Number seven is David Robinson. Number eight is Patrick Ewing. Number uh, nine. I think we. Can, I think we can stop at Ewing. Keep okay. going a couple more, Chris. Yeah, George the other two, I... and nine. Ten is Bill Walton, and that that's where it ends. So we do we think I think. Joel is, I think... What? Who was who was that nine again? Uh, George, Mike, from the oh, Lakers. Oh gosh, okay. Way back when. Wow. Yeah. So what were you saying, Jonathan? I think he falls at nine after Ewing. I I don't know, man. No. I I think I put him above Ewing, and I'd be tempted to put him above Moses. I guess. As a sixer, I would put him above Moses, but I guess Moses did play for Houston for a long I, time, so I would consider that. I definitely think Joel is on track to surpass Ewing if he can stay healthy, if he hasn't already. Same with, with me again. I, Bill, obviously, Bill Walton won an MVP, too. He also was a finals MVP, which is an important part of Joel's resume that hasn't been fulfilled yet. Um you know, I mean, look, I think Jokic is probably hovering around top 10, if not top 10 yet. Obviously, Jokic is too. Like, those guys are both climbing this list very quickly. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. I like whoever you think is a better player aside. Like, 
Jokic, technically speaking, probably has the slightly stronger resume right now. Uh, but both both those guys are are going to be top ten, maybe knocking on the door of top five by the time their careers end. I th- I think that knocking on the top, I think they'll definitely be in the top ten by their by the time their careers are over. Um, I yeah. just don't know I mean, where. Yeah, that that Robin that like the Robinson Malone Hakeem tier is is pretty hard to crack, but. They have the potential if they can win a championship or two to to get into that group. I, I think so. Yeah, um, definitely. Well, I was just gonna say, uh, do you think this is gonna be his only MVP, Chris? Um, you know, it's hard to say. Not a lot of guys just win a bunch of MVPs. It's hard to win more than one. Uh, certainly hard to win two in a row. It's very hard to win three in a row, as we all know. Um. Yeah, I I don't know. It's it's hard to say. With Joel, there's always like a lingering question about his health, his availability. Obviously, the league is instating this new 65 game minimum policy, which is going to be something worth monitoring with respect to Joel because he's going to miss time for rest. He's going to miss time for various bumps and bruises as the season progresses. 82 games is is a very long season, so. It definitely could be his only MVP. He could turn around and win it again next year. It, it, it Both are very much possible. Um, but, I mean, if you're a betting man, it, it's just very hard to win MVP more than once. So he's at the point where he's kind of in the middle of his prime. He probably doesn't have a ton of MVP caliber years left in him. So the safest bet would probably be to say, yeah, this is his only one. But it, it certainly could not be his only one. We'll just have to wait and see. You know, I hate to agree with you, but this is one of those times that I think it's... I'm not saying that it's impossible. I think it's totally possible. Like you said, he's still in his prime. But the likelihood of it, I mean, like, you know, Jokic had to basically play himself out of the MVP this year with, you know, how the Nuggets were kind of, like, coasting towards the end. Giannis had his worst shooting year. And Joel had to lead the league in scoring for a center yep. over 30-plus points for two straight seasons to get the award. So as much as I, mean, I would like to think that Joel could get another one, and I think it is possible, I think likelihood of it happening is slim to none. Yeah, I mean, a great like case study is probably James. Like He only has one, and he, he was the most dominant individual offensive player in the league for a good two, three, four years there. So it's, it's very hard to win multiple MVP awards. People will talk themselves out of it in certain years, like they did with with James versus Westbrook. I frankly think James was pretty clearly the MVP that year. They'll talk themselves out of it for narrative reasons. We've we've seen it, you know, depending on how you view things with Jokic, with Joel, like that that stuff always comes into play with Giannis even. Like voter fatigue, whether it should or shouldn't be, is definitely real. So it, it's very tough to win more than one. Yeah, well, speaking of Sixers MVPs, why don't we close out this segment with getting your guys' take on how you think Joel Embiid's MVP season this year compares to other Sixers MVP seasons. So just for reference, we have Wilt, who did it three years in a row, 1966, 67, 68. Dr. J got an MVP in 81. Moses Malone got one in 83. And then, of course, AI got one in 2001. So what do you guys think? How does Joel's um, season this year match up with those, Chris? Well, uh, it is first one. Wilt averaged, uh, let's see, 34 points and 25 rebounds and five assists. So I'm, I'm not sure Joel or anyone can ever quite accomplish what Wilt was able to accomplish in his specific time in the NBA. Obviously, the competition level is much higher now. Had Joel been playing in 1966, he probably would have those numbers or better. So that's like obviously a factor here. But it's kind of hard to knock Wilt off the off the top pedestal there. Um, but I mean, if you look at Irving's numbers, if you look at Malone's numbers, if you look at AI's numbers, Joel clears them pretty easily. I feel like like. I can't imagine arguing otherwise. Like I think Embiid has probably had the best 
Sixers MVP season since Wilt. Um, you know, postseason-wise, we'll see how that goes, but that's not really part of the MVP conversation. It's a regular season award, and just statistically straight up, Joel is pretty pretty easily clears them. Obviously, AI went to the finals. Malone won a championship with the team, etc. But yeah, I think Joel's probably had the best individual sixer season since Wilt, maybe. Yeah, look, I mean, in terms of numbers, you're right. Wilt did have the... Joel's not going to reach, you know, 20-something-odd rebounds. But in terms of overall dominance, I mean, impacting game on multiple levels, I think him and Wilt are up there. I will say this, in terms of, like, morale and how it feels for the city, I don't know, there was just something different about AI's MVP season than I feel like the other ones were. And this is where I wish we had Uriah on, because, you know, he was, you know, alive and kicking during the Malone and Dr. Gary um, um, MVP seasons. But, like, Jonathan, correct me if I'm wrong, but AI felt different than other people that won MVP during that era, right? And I, you know, maybe... I I was so young. Yeah. I was so young, but I would like, no, I, I think Lucas has a point. Like in like retrospect, it did, it does feel like there was something different about AIs. And I mean, sure. that was the team, like that Lakers team was rolling. They were trying to go 16 and 0 and dominate the postseason too. And AI stole, like, that's my favorite Sixers game of all time. Like yeah. the NBA finals game one. I mean, I just think that that year there was, there really was like a different feel around it with AI. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not saying Joel is, like, I, I think, like, the most important to the city is, is a different argument. Like, absolutely, Iverson is was, like, lightning in a bottle, and it's kind of hard for anyone to recapture that as, as far as what he meant to the city and to the NBA at large. Um, obviously, Joel is very meaningful to the city of Philadelphia, and there's a very special love that, that this fan base has for him, but you're right. Like, like AI's definitely felt better. I, I mean, I was, like, a couple of years old in Atlanta, Georgia, so I'm maybe not the, the chief, uh, you know, person to go to in this respect. But, yeah, like, that's totally fair. But, again, just, like, as far as the numbers and the actual on-court performance goes, I think Joel... Well, was pretty clear. He's only second behind Will. No, you're you're right. Like I said, yes. I I agree with you in terms of like overall impact. Only Joel only trails, you know, Will's first MVP season. After yeah. that, then you know, I think it's pretty fair to say that Joel, you know, in terms of on the court, you know, production, he he, you know, races by everybody else. Yeah. Well, it's nice to have uh, multiple MVPs from the Philadelphia 76ers franchise. He is now the fifth player to win an MVP for the Sixers. It is great. So why don't we close out tonight talking about the uh, other NBA playoffs going on right now. The Heat and Knicks. The Knicks came back, tied it 1-1 after a win at home in Game 2. Jimmy Butler sat out, and uh, Julius Randle came back for the Knicks. They got the W in that one. What are your thoughts on that series, Chris? Um, well, I I definitely feel like the Cavaliers should be feeling quite bad about themselves right now. Um, you know, Miami without Jimmy taking New York to the wire in a must-win game two is not the best look for the Knicks. Uh, I, I think maybe the Knicks are a bit more flawed than the Cavs made them appear at first glance. Obviously, we are talking about the five seed and the eight seed. I, you know, maybe they were the five seed and the eight seed for a reason. Um, I, I think, obviously, as far as favorites to win this series, we're, it's the Heat at this point, assuming Jimmy can get back. Um, Spolstra's a brilliant playoff-tested coach. I, Tom Thibodeau had a great regular season. He's really turned the Knicks around in a lot of respects. He, I don't think he's going to win the coaching battle, and Jimmy is going to be the best player on the floor if he's out there. So... I, I, it feels like the Heat are maybe going to go to another conference finals. We'll see. But it definitely feels like the winner of this Celtic Sixer series is 
the very, 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 very heavy favorite to come out of the East right now. Yeah, I, I, I think, look, it's not a great look for the Knicks, like you said, that they, it took them until the end of the game to really pull away from the heat that were Jimmy Butler-less and Tyler Hero-less and Victor Oladipo-less. Um, Eric Spolster deserves to get Coach of the Year just once. He has not... Eric Spolster has not won Coach of the Year, guys. I don't think we realize how crazy that is, considering how many times he's won an NBA. He's won two NBA titles, has gotten to three NBA finals, and a handful of Eastern Conference finals. Yet the guy hasn't that's won. Actually, that's actually stunning. Yeah. So, he, he I, you know, I, clearly we're not going to – Year for Doc to get Coach of the Year, and Mike Brown deserved it this year. But if next time that Eric Spoelstra has a top four team in the East, we we need to give him Coach of the Year because the guy deserves it. Like he's so good. That being yeah. said, I still feel good about the Knicks in this series. I just I think the injuries are going to catch up to Miami, and I you know they're really they play hard. Like Eric Spoelstra gets them to play hard, but talent wise, especially without Jimmy. The, the gap is just too much. I mean, the Knicks have are you know two players that are arguably all stars, and you know one that's probably Julius Randle is probably going to get you know all NBA this year just due to the fact that the you know forwards list is really thin. I you know and Jalen Brunson has an argument to be on there too. So. And they're just so deep and well-balanced. I mean, yeah, obviously they have flaws. Don't get me wrong. They need more shooting. But, like, I, I look, I think the Knicks are going to come out of this. I think it's going to be a seven-game series, though, especially if Jimmy gets back by game three. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm still sticking with the Heat. I think they'll figure out a way. But I think there was something, like, they had the most undrafted players, like, score – for the playoffs or something in game in game two, but I know I do know it was their fourth starting lineup in six or seven postseason games this year. So they are, I agree with you, Eric Spolster definitely deserves some credit here. But uh, why don't we switch outside, go to the Western Conference? Lakers Warriors was an incredible game. The Lakers came out with the victory, one seventeen one twelve. It was so interesting in the fact that the Warriors outscored the Lakers from three by, like, plus 45. They were knocking down threes left and right, and the Lakers were just bully ball, playing it inside. Totally tale of two different type uh, styles of play. So the big conversation was Jordan Poole pulling up for that 31-footer with nine seconds left on the clock. But I I think this series is going to be great, just like the last one that the Warriors were in. So what are your thoughts here, Lucas? Look, this is good. This as it probably shouldn't be considering that it's only the second round, but this is kind of a legacy defining series for both LeBron and Steph Curry because they've met each other in the finals so often. Granted, LeBron's not the. I, let's be clear, LeBron James still an all time great, still playing at an all star level, but is not the best player on his team especially now that the ankle injury has happened, it's Anthony Davis. If the Lakers are going to win this series, it's going to be because of Anthony Davis dominating the inside. But let's think about this. The one time, the only time that LeBron James, if he loses this series, the only time that LeBron James has lost the series to Steph Curry is because Steph Curry's third best player, you know, behind Clay and Draymond, was suspended for a game because he got he kicked somebody in the groin. Like, other than that, yeah, you could say, oh, he had Kevin Durant. Oh, they didn't have their two best players in 2016. You could say all that, but in the end, it doesn't matter because Steph Curry has gone 3-1 and one against LeBron James in playoff series, and if LeBron goes down 4-1, it's, it's really an indictment on LeBron James's legacy. As much as I hate to say it, I think I think that does impact LeBron James's legacy, and I think it would submit Steph Curry as a top ten player if if he's not already there. It definitely would, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't know, man. I I I don't <laughs> think we really need to go that far about like the six seven matchup in the West. I I think LeBron is more past his prime than Steph. 
obviously he's much older than Steph. That's part of the reason for that. Like LeBron is at a different stage of his stardom, I think, than Steph Curry is. Steph is still that dude. Steph is still like a top three, four guy in the league. You could argue he's top one. Steph, at this point in the season, he just dropped 50 points in game seven. Like, Steph is still that dude. So, um, I I think my pick right now, you asked me who's winning the series, I'm still going to ride with the Warriors. Obviously, Davis posed quite a matchup issue for Golden State, and the Lakers are very capable of winning this series too. I agree, Jonathan. This feels like another very high-quality six or seven games of basketball in the Western Conference that we're about to watch. Um, I think these teams are much better than your typical six, seven seeds. Don't get me wrong. Like, I think these are two very legitimate teams, but I don't know if we need to, like, redefine a player's legacy based based on this outcome. I I think Steph and LeBron are both top ten players. Obviously, LeBron's probably top two. You could argue that Steph is... You know, maybe closer to five than he is to ten at this point. It, you get into the weeds there as far as who you're, what people value, and who how. You know, that's that's a different debate for another day. But yeah, I mean, these are two great players. It's a privilege to continue to be able to watch them on this stage, and I'm really looking forward to watching the rest of this series. Oh yeah, wait, wait, wait. I- well, one one quick point. I'm sorry, but people like complaining about an open three for Jordan Poole when he's red hot are just ridiculous. That was a good shot. It was a good look. He didn't make it. You live with it. It was a couple steps behind the line. Okay. Uh, it's 2023. I, what are we doing? That That's a good shot. It was wide open. Don't We don't need to, you know, the discourse around this very good shot is ridiculous. I don't know, man. It was uh, an open spot up three to tie the game. How much? Really, what more could you want? You want him to step I, in and test? Is that going to make it better? Why would he do that? I think what are he should have given it back. To, he had 10 seconds, and he could have given it back to step. It was a wide open three-point shot for the hottest guy in the game. What are we talking yeah, about? Can I, yeah, I got to be honest. Like He was six for 10 from three. And yeah. I'm not kidding. Like I saw, like when I saw that, I was like, okay, like whatever, no big deal. And waking up this morning, it like I was shocked that that was like the number one story on every single thing on ESPN. I was like, are you kidding me? Like we in like the moment, the, people like to overthink in, things. They need things yeah, to but think it, about. It, exactly, because in the moment, I was like, that's a good shot. Like seriously, it was a good shot. You think if they didn't swing it back to Steph, he wouldn't have been doubled again? Like yeah, Vanderbilt switched off, but like. He would have come right – I mean, Chris, I can't agree with you more. Like, I was stunned that it was such a big topic this morning. I was like, that was a good shot. He was yeah, wide I, open. And he's 6 of 10 from 3. Yeah, I, I understand, like, people want the best players taking those shots. And there's been decades of people complaining about LeBron passing up blah, blah, blah in the final seconds. But, it, like, it, that it can only go so far. If they're going to triple Steph every time he touches the ball – I'd rather have Jordan Poole taking a wide-open spot-up jumper to tie the game than Steph, like, heaving up, falling away 40-footer over three defenders. I'm sorry. Amen. Amen. Like, what are we talking about? Jordan Poole is a good shooter. We can complain about other aspects of his game. Is he a good player? How? Who knows? But he is definitely a good shooter, and he was red-hot in this game, and it was a wide-open three. What are we talking about? They needed three points. It was a good shot. Come on. I don't understand it. No, that's, I mean, that's the wavelength I'm on. And I also just want to say, like, quick, Anthony Davis, 30 and 23, like, when he's engaged, wants to play, is healthy, like, I I think he's easily a top five player in the league. Like, and you could argue, I think, that he's, like, top three. When he is engaged, healthy, like, he's, he's a beast. It's not just, yeah, like, look, recency look, bias. Like, when he's available, he is a beast. Look, there was a stretch at the beginning of the year that he would have probably been the frontrunner for MVP because he was playing that well. Obviously, I don't think health will ever allow him to be in the MVP conversation. But if he did, if he was able to stay healthy, I think he could be. But let's go ahead and get to our last matchup, right, Jonathan? Yeah, Denver. 
dominating my Denver Nuggets, um, not Chris's. My Denver Nuggets up wow. <laughs> 2-0 against oh, the man. Phoenix Suns. No, not they're not mine. But seriously, they are great. Um, I think the whole series, not the whole series, but it's. I think the series can be summed up with that reporter asking Kevin Durant if he's surprised that the Nuggets are good. It's like, no, they're the one seed. No one sees them because they play late. No one really cares to watch Denver. They're a good team. They're the best team in the Western Conference. Like, I don't think this is a surprise. So what are your thoughts, Lucas? Well, as somebody that picked the Suns in this series, I got to say, I, um, I'm i not looking great on this. The, the Western Brock, I'm just not doing well on. I'm, I'm gonna how, be how do you feel about the Timberwolves, Lucas? Do you like their chances? <laughs> I, I mean, to be fair, how much were you hyping them up at the beginning of the Question. Do you think the Timberwolves are better than the Phoenix Suns? No. Is that your read on the Western Conference? No. Okay. So, anyway. Anyway. uh, Look, the Suns just, they don't have the depth and they don't have the size. And, you know, they have barely played with each other. And, you know, Denver has played all year together. And and now they lost Chris Paul. To groin injury, he's going to be out at least game three, probably more likely for probably for the rest of the series. And I just don't see the Suns pulling this out now, especially without no Chris Paul. I, I just I don't see it, and I think that this series is all but over. Yeah, um, you know, as Lucas said, Rudy Gobert was probably the only thing standing between Nikola Jokic and uh, his his first ring, and uh, okay. the uh, Stifle Tower <laughs> fell. So. Um, so, uh, you know, for a guy that used that had Rudy Gobert in the top ten of his rankings at one point, you're really <laughs> crapping on him right now. Just saying. I really want wolves to beat the Nuggets. Okay. I'm Look, sorry. Look, I I was drinking the Kool Aid a little bit. I'll admit that, but I've come back down to earth, and I don't think it was unreasonable for me to pick the Suns in this series. I think I had legitimate arguments for that. Oh yeah, the, the, no, 100%. I, 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 as I remember telling everyone, picked Denver before the season and um, have been strong-willed in that opinion the whole way and have not wavered ever. Uh, don't check my... You know, oh, no, 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 no. Don't you check up on that. Don't, you, don't. What happens if the Minnesota, I mean, if the OKC Thunder play the Nuggets in the first round and you refuse to answer? What? Oh yeah, that's what you're. I have much more incriminating comments out there than what you are referring to, but I'll accept that as my main point of weakness. Um, yes. Um, yeah, I, I think Denver's going to win this series. Can Phoenix work their way back into it? Of course, they have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, but like, Denver looks very good, and the Suns are just not winning the math game right now. They're very reliant on two-point jumpers. And not three-point jumpers, which is, is tough when you're playing a very good three-point shooting team. Uh, three is more than two. So I, I think Denver is probably going to win this series. I think Denver is probably going to win the West, if I had to guess. Again, like I don't think Steph and the Healthy Warriors have like ever lost in the West. So it's kind of hard to, to bet against them. But I don't know. Denver, Denver doesn't look like the one seed for a reason. As Kevin Durant said, they're, they are the one seed for a reason. Um, yeah. But I, I will say, the idea of Denver-Philly in the finals makes me so happy. I, I cannot – Denver-Boston, I just don't want it. I'm sorry. I The Celtics, I can't do it anymore. I, I don't want the Celtics in the finals. I'm sorry. I just have to get that off my chest. I didn't really need the Sixers to, to take care of business here. It would save me a great deal of stress and, and uh, worry in my heart, but we'll see what happens. Nugget Sixers would be great. It, it would be quite, it would, there'd be some pretty nasty discourse going on in the Twitterverse, but if you look beyond that, great series and two very good teams, so. Look, it's been about 30 years since we've had two dominant centers in the NBA at the same time. Since, like, you know, David Robinson, Hakeem, and Ewing were all in the league together. It's been a while. Now, this, you know, we have Joel, we have Jokic. Um, I, Giannis isn't a center, but, you know, close enough. 
it's it's good for the NBA, especially if they meet in the finals. We haven't had a good center matchup in the finals probably since Malone and uh, yeah, probably Malone. Well, I guess Shaq and but that was baby Shaq. I don't know if I would put Shaq and Akeem as a good. Uh, I guess so, but like I was gonna go with Malone and uh, Kareem. So yeah, yeah if, if Joel and Jokic meet in the finals, that would be great for everybody. It would be. So naturally, we're going to get Golden State Boston again, and I'm going to feel really bad about myself. Um, But, yeah, I, you know, I really need the Sixers to win this series. It would would really please me. Um, But we'll see what happens. Yeah, on that note, Chris, how about you go ahead and play us out? Yes, I, I will play us out. Just like the Celtics played the Sixers out of the gym in game two, unfortunately. Um, Ooh, too soon, Chris. Too I soon. know, I uh. know. Uh, just like the uh, Nuggets played the Timberwolves out of game one, am I right? Oh. First round, <laughs> playoffs, uh, and season in general. Uh, you know, okay. Um, okay. Four games in a row. Well, not four games in a row. They actually... Five games. Sorry. All right. But, yeah, Funny. anyways... Just like how the you know OKC lost to the Timberwolves in the <laughs> Good one. Um, so yeah, yeah, until next time, everyone. Uh, please like, subscribe, and follow along if you can. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Audible, or you can listen at our wonderful website, thesixersense.com, where you can also read our written work. And until next time, go Sixers. We'll talk to you soon. Peace out. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.